0: Welcome to the Digital from Day One podcast. Our aim is to build a bridge by creating content that will pique interest, spark conversations, and encourage further innovations that will ultimately build a more informed and prepared pipeline of learners headed for the 21st century workforce. Hi, my name is Brendan Dickerson, and joining me as always is Joelle Nelson. Today, you'll be listening to a discussion with the Chief Innovation Officer at The Ohio State University College of Nursing, Tim Radistorf. Tim, thank you for joining us today, and we are excited to have you on the podcast. My pleasure to be here, Brendan and
1: Joel. Thanks for having me.
0: Um, So one thing we really just want to dive into is um, COVID. I mean, that is impacting Hmm. um, healthcare, IT, every business imaginable. And some things that we, you know, seeing, you know, from the C-suite to the trenches are the unique challenges, you know, that persist with COVID-19. And also just the way it's changing how organizations um, operate. Uh, One of the buzzwords that we've heard in the IT industry is um, innovation. And we've heard it for many, many years. Yeah. One of the things that you've uh, championed for a long time, way before uh, COVID-19, was democratizing innovation. Can you give us a little bit uh, more about this user-centered solution and how it uh, will bring you know changes in healthcare business models and also public policy moving forward?
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. So democratizing innovation has kind of been an unknown premise of, of the work that I was doing until I really sat down and thought about it as I did a, a TED Talk on it um, in November of 2019. And... The thought process has always been, innovation shouldn't happen in the C-suites, shouldn't happen with people with fancy titles like you know, Chief Innovation Officer. We need to allow the people at the front lines to bring their ideas forward. Because a lot of times, particularly in healthcare, these ideas that are happening, we call them workarounds, they end up having a, a profound impact. It's a, it's a positive impact in the organization you know, through the process of being a positive deviant where people kind of go against the fray and create a better outcome for, for the people that they're working with, but they hide it because they're afraid that, you know, it goes against a policy or they're using tongue depressors and tape in a different way. And now they, they worry that they're gonna get in trouble. And what we need to do as, as systems, particularly in healthcare, is allow the people at the front lines, not not just allow them, but incentivize and give them a voice to bring those ideas to the fold. So we have to create systems that empower ideation, that empower, you know, the people who oversee and manage those at the front lines to encourage this behavior that we want to see, because we know that the ultimate outcome is improved patient outcomes. So to sum up with democratizing innovation, the the whole purpose is based off of science. So you know innovation is an art, but there's also a science behind it. And we, we've seen um, through data that's come out of uh, Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern and MIT that the greatest way to improve your return on investment for innovation is to increase your ideation rate. And the ideation rate is defined as the number of ideas that are generated by frontline staff with an important and after that, and it's and approved by management. And you divide those ideas that have been approved by management from the frontline staff by the total number of people who work in the system. So the higher that number, the higher your likely return on investment for innovation. And that investment may be in in dollars, but it also may be in impact and, you know, other things that are, are a little bit more challenging to measure. But the more you say yes to the people at the front lines, the more you encourage them to change your systems, the better your system performs. So that's what we try and do through our work is is democratize innovation and give a voice to people who may be in the fray and may not have, particularly at, you know, a large organization like Ohio State, where you have a bunch of people who have NIH, NIH and NSF grants, they have these big labs. There's a lot of people who have great ideas that are, are trying to get to that point, but they're not there yet. And we mm-hmm. need to find a pathway to help move them along that chain so they can get those big grants or they can commercialize their work later in life. But for now, you know it's it's all about giving them that first chance, that first step towards innovation.
2: That's great to hear, and I really love just the, the term democratizing innovation because that essentially brings to my mind, you know, it's innovation opportunities for all people to find solutions for all people, right? And and one of the things that is interesting uh, that you have done here during this during this pandemic is. There was a a grant process that you all developed to kind of uh, allow for people across the college, including students, to provide some feedback and some opportunities to innovate during this time, because there's going to be a lot of innovations that's going to happen, that's going to change the world and change healthcare and so on and so forth. Can you give us some background on that? And if I'm not mistaken, those grants have already been awarded, correct? So if you have some some thoughts or perspective on what was
1: funded so we've actually done two COVID challenges since this hit to joel to to do exactly what you said we Mm -hmm. knew that there were going to be latent organizations during this process Mm -hmm. during during the pandemic and there are going to be organizations who stepped out to the front i'm a firm believer that reputation up to the pandemic and reputation after the pandemic are going to be two separate things Mm -hmm. so now is an opportunity for every university in the country to say we are the world's most innovative university and if you come out on the top of COVID-19 looking like that it didn't matter what you did for the last 50-60 years behind because we are reaching a new dawn and a new day so we've been trying to push for that at a university-wide level to say all right here is our opportunity to shine here is our our chance to say we were wonderful before the pandemic we're even going to be better after and so we're not going to hide our tails and and hope that things uh, you know get fixed at, by other individuals. We're going to be part of the solution. So when COVID first hit, we launched a regular challenge through the Innovation Studio, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about here in a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was just you know send us any idea, any solution you have for COVID-19. And remember, mm-hmm. this is back in back in April when we didn't know very much about what was going on. Mm-hmm. So the majority of the ideas that came in that session were all PPE related, PPE uh, testing and ventilators. Those are, you know, the huge buzzwords, if you can think back to what feels like 15 years ago uh, when this whole thing started. Yeah, uh, right. So uh, that, that's where we, we got a lot of ideas and, and things came through and, you know, supply chain was really disrupted. So we were trying to, to build PPE, but then also, you know, other huge organizations would come in and call the organization the day before we, were, we called them and buy out their entire supply of, you know, certain plastics or things that we would need to laser cut or, or, or make PPU with. So it was a really interesting process, a lot of collaboration happening um, with the College of Engineering, with CDME, and then the Can't Stop Columbus campaign, which, which was, uh, you know, just an awesome example of the community coming together to try and solve a problem and then fast forward a couple months when we started bringing students back to campus uh, at the start of the fall semester we know we wanted to empower them because again we know that the best way to solve this problem is to get our students to solve it for us or give us the ideas and empower them to solve it for us Um, so we with with the office of uh, the chief wellness officer and uh, student life set out with a, a challenge for all students to give us ideas that hit kind of three main areas. One was mental health for our students, uh, the mm-hmm. other was uh, social distancing precautions and, and just how to manage social distancing. And then uh, the third was mask adherence. So we got mm-hmm. a lot of great ideas about uh, different things. Uh, you know, a lot of the masks were either branding or some cool ideas about how to have mass that you could use while you're eating and, and mm. some really uh, interesting and engaging ways to think through it. Other things are things that now you're seeing all over the market, like door handle holder so that you, you could have your own door handle and it had a latch on it and you'd reach out. And this, this tool that you were using would latch over the door handle and you could pull over the door handle without actually touching with your hand. You could mm. hold onto that and walk to elevator and hit your elevator button so that you had a device mm. that was kind of all your high touch point devices. And then we had a, a bunch of uh, apps and solutions that would help people determine if they were um, in an area that m- may have been exposed, which, you know, right now in Ohio is when you go outside. Uh, you, there's, a good, there's a good chance you're around someone who, who may have it, but um, there, there's some other great ones that were that were helping with uh, mental health and and hel- helping people find resources and, and uh, community members that they can lean on in this time when people are just really lonely lots of really great ideas and just. You know, overwhelming sense of pride for the ownership that our students were taking over this, that they were going to make sure that not only that they were thriving, but that their peers were thriving as well.
0: And one of the, like, you know, very interesting things that I recently read through the article about a month ago out of College of Nursing was about, you know, rethinking how we address health disparities. which goes back to, you know, making sure that people have, you know, the necessary you know resources. And specifically, you know, for, you know, minority communities, we've seen the infection and death rates, you know, higher within the Black and Hispanic. And some of the different things, you know, you sometimes may hear is that why you think it's going to be, you know, any different, you know, now with the vaccine, because there hasn't been, you know, adequate, you know, access to treatment beforehand. And some of the things that, you know, you mentioned before about, you know, the research and public policy and all things are, you know, connected together. But for those other communities, how can we, you know, ensure that For that we must act now?
1: We must act now and we must do it in a lot of different ways. But the other thing that was incredibly unfortunate that happened during this time was George Floyd's death and murder. I am hopeful that that event made people realize Uh, that racism is one of, if not the biggest health uh, epidemic in the United States. And while we are battling this pandemic, we're seeing how systematic racism is impacting health outcomes for people of color. So, you know, as a white man of privilege, it's been a really challenging year to not have been as impactful as I would like to have been in the past and trying to figure out how I can maximize that impact moving forward and use my voice in in, in a positive way. Because I I do believe that not just in healthcare, but in innovation as well, there's a, a, a total lack of representation of voices of color. And without creating accessible, equitable, inclusive platforms to allow and encourage engagement across all people in our country, I think we're gonna to continue to struggle. So, you know, talk is pretty cheap and what I'm saying right now is pretty cheap, um, but figuring out how we can be actionable is really impactful. One of, one of my good friends, Ernest Grant, is the president of the American Nurses Association. And he just recently did an interview with Morning Edition on NPR uh, talking about his journey as being a enrollee in the Moderna vaccine trials. So he he is a black man, and you know really feels that the history of our country has set us up for a lack of success when it comes to vaccination and vaccinating minorities right now, and that's a history that that's so deep and entrenched, and there's a lot of reasons for people to not feel that they may be able to trust what's coming out. So we we're working on an organization, nurses everywhere. Um, that is, is trying to help the public recognize the access that they have to care and to rely on nurses as the trusted voice for determining, you know, what, what level of care is right for them and where they should be going for access. So, uh, you know, with Ernest and Barbara Nichols and a lot of other wonderful people, Beverly Malone, um, who, are, who are leaders who have experience in this and have, have felt this impact of, of racism and social injustice uh, firsthand. You know we're we're leaning heavily on them to help us make decisions and try and change policy, try and change our personal behaviors, so that people like me who are who are in positions of power and, and privilege to to be so uh, can, can broaden our impact and broaden our lens when we're thinking about making decisions. So I think it's going to continue to be a big challenge, Brandon and Joel, I I don't think this uh, pandemic is going to solve it, but I think eyes are open more now than they have been in the past. And I am, I'm bullish on the future of innovation. I'm bullish on the future of social justice and and the direction that uh, we're moving to create a more equitable health system.
2: And it's interesting to hear you say that because we, we, we kind of have these two things that are parallel but connected, right? It's interesting that we've had this health challenge, this pandemic that's going on, mm-hmm. but right before that and during that, we had like the state of Ohio um, and even Franklin County come out and, and classify racism as a public health challenge, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, there's these two things that are connected, and we see the connection in these numbers uh, in terms of the, the higher infection rate and death rate and so on and so forth. But then, ultimately, innovation is probably where these challenges are going to be overcome. Where do you see the the, the opportunities in something like the innovation studio to help out in a situation like the health challenge of racism in you know locally statewide nationally so on and so forth
1: so the the innovation studio uh, let me explain that here in a second but but first i want to go back to because i don't think it's just the innovation studio i think it's the foundation that the innovation studio is built on which is the democratization of innovation So, like I said earlier, if we want to solve problems in healthcare, we need to rely on the frontline nurses, physicians, nursing assistants, custodians, people who are there right now living it and they can tell us what it's like. If we're going to solve racial injustice, we need to be working and getting ideas from the people who are experiencing it firsthand. And with the process that we take, what makes it really challenging is that you have to engage both sides and. You know, Right now, it's, I think it's really challenging to engage both sides, but the, the very clear, very, very clear aspect of this right now, even if you look at it from a 30,000-foot lens, is we definitely do not have enough people of color involved in the innovation ecosystem, in the startup ecosystem. And the, the trickle-down effects of that are incredibly important, but overall, the, the key message is we can't solve the problem as people who aren't experiencing the problem. And we need to do a better job at co-design and really understanding how we can do a better job of getting those voices of color to the table. So at the Innovation Studio, the Innovation Studio is our, our movable makerspace that's transitioned into a, a permanent makerspace as well. So we have two of these makerspaces on campus. Um, mm-hmm. One is is located in Palmarine Hall, right off of Mirror Lake. It's called Innovation Studio Mirror Lake. And then we our original Innovation Studio launched in 2017, and that is a movable makerspace. It's essentially a cubicle uh, that's 16 by 16. It's got you know nine foot walls and we can put it up and basically any location on campus, tear it down and be in a new spot in about two hours. So inside both of these places, you're gonna find awesome tools like 3D printers, laser cutters, uh, the ones in the permanent space at Mirror Lake are just much bigger. But the, the whole idea of this was, You know, we we received an amazing donation gift from Connie and Gary Sharp, uh, who are alumni of the university. And they said, hey, we want to change the culture of innovation at Ohio State, but we're not sure how to do that. And we said, well, with what we believe about democratizing innovation is that we need to build a structure of innovation first, because people keep coming to me and saying, Tim, I have this great idea. I just don't know where to begin. Mm -hmm. So the most logical thing for us to do at that point we thought was to say, all right, let's answer that question. Let's create that place where you say you have a great idea and you don't know where to begin. You walk mm-hmm. through this door, and that is that is the door that you walk through to signify that you have begun. So, we created the Innovation Studio, but we we knew that it couldn't just be a, a College of Nursing initiative uh, sure. because we wanted to hear the voices of of everyone across campus. So we created a movable space that solved a couple problems for us. One, we didn't have space in the in the college of nursing to create and fully dedicate you know 300 400 square feet to to this maker space but two no one else did on campus so we we could now say hey instead of giving us a permanent space give us a part of your lobby for seven weeks out of the year and we'll show up there, we'll bring this, we'll engage with your students, faculty and staff as much as possible. And hopefully we'll start bringing people who've never been in your building or, or, or hardly ever in your building into your space. And not only will they be engaging the Innovation Studio, but maybe they'll start engaging with, with your students, faculty and staff in a different way. So that's how the Innovation Studio was born. And now it makes five of those tour stops throughout the year. We stay at a, and, and during the academic year, we stay for seven weeks. Every half semester, uh, mm-hmm. we, we moved a new location. And the summers, when when we're not having a pandemic, uh, our summer vacation home is the beautiful lobby of the James. At, at each end of those tour stops, though, we have a pitch day. And teams come to us and pitch their ideas. and. Uh, We do something at Ohio State that no other organization that we're aware of in the world does, and that's fund every team. So every team, as long as they meet two simple criteria, they have to be a team of two or more Ohio State students, faculty, or staff with different backgrounds. And their idea has to improve the health and well-being of one person in the world. So the bias about the innovation studio is that you have to be a nurse or you have to be a physician and that that's not true. Uh, and the other thing is that most people think, well, it's a healthcare product. So it has to be something to use in a hospital. And again, mm-hmm. totally not true. Um, we hear ideas for people who want to uh, create drone systems that map potholes. And, you know, we can determine if potholes are getting bigger and when we need to fill them, things like that. We have people who want to create Indoor charcoal grills, you know things that that at first are like, how is that a healthcare product? And you're, then you go back and talk about redu- reduction of car accidents or reduction of carbon monoxide in people's mm-hmm. homes when they're cooking or in their huts when they're cooking. So to us, we kind of take an approach that what isn't health, uh, and we find basically anything but weapons at this point. We absolutely have found immense success by funding every team, because it goes back to that ideation rate component. We are a yes and organization and teams come to us, they pitch us their ideas and every first time team is going to get 250 bucks to $1,500 to get started. And then because we make those tour stops throughout the year and after you receive funding from us, you're eligible to come back to any other tour stop and say, hey, this is what we did with that initial round of funding that you gave us. And you know, we've been engaging with you all along between now and then. And through that engagement, we found that our next step is uh, we need you know twelve hundred dollars to buy this or three hundred dollars to buy that. Mm-hmm. And we say, great, let's let's do that and keep working with us. And in eight weeks, we want you back in here telling us what happened with that mm-hmm. and telling us what the next ask is. So we, we found a way with really, I mean, a, a, an incredibly large gift of, of just over half a million dollars, um, but to run that for, for three to four years as our budget, you know, we, we had to be really good stewards of that funding. So we found a way to do this and a really small economic footprint year over year, uh, while also empowering everyone that we can, reducing as many barriers to entry as we possibly can to get people to take that first step. And then after that first step, you know, at Ohio State we've got awesome things like the Keenan Center for Entrepreneurship, the Technology mm-hmm. Commercialization Office. Mm-hmm. We've got, you know, our state partners at Rev1. Uh, there's a lot of places for us to filter these people after they get past the ideation stage. And if they're ready to commercialize, that's an option. Uh, but if they're not a commercial product, that's totally fine too. That's you know, the Innovation Studio is a maker space. It's not a commercialization incubator. Both outcomes are, are celebrated and enjoyed by our teams.
0: I love it. You know, I've toured it. and you know, I've been there many times, and you know, different conversations we've had um, within the studio. And one of the cool things I really love about you know the innovation studio is that students are able to go in there and build things. You know, with their hands. You know, <laughs> doing things. You know, that are you know so different than. What we always push you know apps and you know you know coding which is you know very important for learning different skill sets but i think we're also going back in time where you know you have to be able to you know build things with your hands um so you can have those transferable skills in the future marketplace um so with that uh, being said as well one thing i see here um, on the website is uh, you talked a little bit about the project mentors mm-hmm. are are they paired with these mentors early on and how's i guess that relationship cultivated uh, throughout the entire experience as well so
1: we try and sprinkle that in throughout so Every project has the mentor of who I think is the secret sauce, the innovation studio, and that's Josh Wooten. So Josh is our uh, shop manager. He works about 30 hours a week during non COVID. Mm -hmm. We also had uh, 10 students who were working alongside with him, but due to COVID protocols and keeping it to one person uh, at a time in that space, uh, when when people weren't engaging with us, uh, we weren't able to hire students this year. So Mm -hmm. the students serve as mentors. Josh serves as a mentor now to a, a lot of teams um, because because of our current staffing uh, capabilities. But then we work really closely with with Julie Armstrong at Hack Ohio and Dr. Bibbick out, out of uh, electrical engineering. We, we have these connections throughout campus where you know if something pops up, we say this is the person you need to go talk to. So those things happen organically because my my assumption may be that they need to go talk to to, to Julia and, and then Julia hears from them and they said oh I'm not the right person you know you need to go talk to Arnab Nandi or or someone else about this, so it's really great to have a network at Ohio State and we're continuing to build that and that was one of the major goals of the Innovation Studio behind the scenes was how do we find a way to get our faculty to help our students and engage with them so that, for lack of a better term, the culture of innovation at Ohio State starts to be owned by the people at the front lines. And I think that that's a shift that continues to occur is that we, we need our students, faculty, and staff to say, Innovation is owned by me at Ohio State. It's not owned by the Office of Research. It's not owned by the Tech Commercialization Office. It's the people at the front lines who own this, and we have those amazing resources, like the Office of Research and the Office in the Tech Commercialization Office, to help us along the way. But I own it, and we're going to create the culture of ownership and and uh, accountability so that we can be one of the top and most innovative uh, organizations in the universe, in the world.
2: And that's interesting because you know, so you have this kind of hands-on makerspace and then you also have the project that Brendan is uh, in charge of which is the mobile design lab so you kind of have like these two you know and, and there's other things that are going on to kind of you know get students and faculty and others whoever can um, and is willing to be involved to think and then act as quickly as possible and, and not be afraid to To fail, Right. You know, that's that's part of the process as well. How much of a component is where we've been seeing most of the shift of innovation going in terms of like mobile technology and and app development and technology in general. We see all these things now. I mean, you're you're a nurse by trade. So we even see this in the you know, when you go to the doctor's office, you know, the nurse comes in with her iPad. And so there's a lot of innovation going on there or has there been cross-pollination in particular in the Innovation Studio and, and where you see that going?
1: Yeah, and so it's a great question, Joel, because when we started the Innovation Studio, we thought maybe we need to teach all of our nurses to be coders, mm-hmm. and that it quickly became that while there was interest from some, a lot of them weren't interested in being coders. They wanted to work with coders and download their knowledge and then collaborate. Right. It's not a juxtaposition, but you know, when, when you have a makerspace, you want to get people doing the hands-on things and you want them to be having that self-discovery and 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 working on their own projects. But we also know that we want co-design and we want people to be focusing on the working at the type of top of their license or the top of their skill set. So, you know, taking that design thinking process and model, you know, we we shifted and said, all right, yeah, you you don't need to write code. If you want to, we'll we'll absolutely help you figure out how to do that. But now we're, we're we're much more engaged in saying, all right, how do we connect you to the right people so that you can take this information that likely a very very small subset of people in the world know, and you can then leverage skill set of someone who probably has that that same you know expertise at, at a very niche level, and let's marry those things together so that you can find success together. And admittedly, at at Ohio State, that was a challenge for us at the beginning, but now we have a great relationship again, you know to keep name dropping, Julie Armstrong, she runs the uh, computer science uh, senior year capstone projects. So mm. the innovation studio now has a, a simple process when someone comes to us, when before we'd say, hey, we can't really fund your, your apps, we don't have a way to get, the, get them developed. Now we say, all right, here's the process to go apply to be considered f- for one of their capstones. And then mm. if they, If they select you, then we'll provide the financial support that it costs to be a capstone project. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a easier way to get them to, you know, our students who are incredibly talented and excited to be working on these projects. And in that level, it's a little more interactive for our end users or people at the front lines who, who have the idea because The nature of the capstone project is that they're being taught to interact and engage with their clients so not saying that the great companies in Columbus aren't doing that. But at the academic level, I think it happens even even more so it's pretty exciting to see how that transitions occurred. And uh, that has been a huge boon for the innovation studio and and I hope Julia would say it's been a huge boon for her, her students, because you know they're getting to solve big problems in real time with the people who understand them the most. I was going to Mm -hmm. say that is a
2: great cycle to have where you're having students work on those because the impact Mm -hmm. becomes cyclical, you know, so yeah. And that that was our
1: original idea, like, hey, we're going to, we're going to employ, you know, three or five students who can, who can do that. But you know, again, that's coming from a, a non-developer viewpoint and thinking, "Hey, I can get three or four students to come in here and take care of the twelve apps that we get ads to develop right. every every semester." <laughs> you know, it doesn't work that way, Tim. It's not like you flip a switch and sit down and it happens. So. Um, by having access it's not just that we have access to one or two teams now we have access to 10 or 12 teams and Mm -hmm. it it really has been a way to scale much more effectively than i I thought we would
2: thanks for joining us for this episode of the digital from day one podcast make sure to visit our website at go.osu.edu forward slash digital day one that's the number one where you can find out how to subscribe more information about our guests and more information about our team. As always, we love to know what you think. Use the feedback form on the website or shoot us an email at digital from day one at osu.edu. The one is actually spelled out here or simply give us a rating on iTunes. And we'd appreciate if you tell a friend about our little show here too. There's more to come from our guests in this episode, so be on the lookout for that i'm joel nelson along with brendan dickerson and let's continue to make the connections to opportunity stronger until next time everybody